We're in Movember, men's mental health. What is the stigma around men's mental health and do societal expectations and traditional gender roles play a role in this? About half of us have said that our mental health has deteriorated since the start of the pandemic. How do we help those people or how do we like, how do we see the signs? Let's discuss the common mis misconceptions surrounding mental health. It's going to sound cheesy. I'm going to use the hashtag. I'm going to talk about it. It's okay to say you're not okay. Sarah Gouda and Jim Check from the Now Media Group ask questions, explore topics, and shine a light on the conversations that matter. Welcome, everyone. Welcome, Jessica Samuels and Mike Golick. Maybe explain your role with CMHA and, and what you do there. Um, so I'm the Director of Service Delivery and Program Innovation and so my responsibility is really all of the programs and services that we deliver in the, the community. As an organization we've got over 160 staff and provide an array of services from housing to homelessness services to mental health services for youth and families through Foundry and Foundry Wow, an array of wellness programming as well as virtual counseling and I have the honour and privilege of being responsible for overseeing all those programs and services. And I'm Jessica Samuels, as you mentioned, and I'm Associate Director of Community Engagement. And what that means is part of my role is talking about and sharing the good news about our programs and services that Mike just outlined, and also uh, fundraising, raising those dollars so that we can continue to serve folks in our community across the central Okanagan who really need support with their mental health. So, Mike, when you said that that's 160 people in the central Okanagan, that's... Yeah, we're, we're basically located in the central Okanagan, so Peachland to Oyama, and uh, we've grown considerably over the last year, and so we've got a staffing contingent of 160 people. So I guess let's get right down to it and, and talk about what's kind of on everybody's minds. It's, 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 it's COVID and how that shaped people's mental, mental health, and, and I guess a lot of people are either experiencing or know somebody that's experiencing... A difference in their mental health I would say I don't know you guys probably know better than me on, on how that goes yeah we know that as Canadians we're not okay I mean and that's that's the plain speak of it um, you mentioned folks are struggling and certainly there's uh, an array or there's some diversity across uh, the extremities whether they go from mental illness from things like depression or significant mental health issues uh, to things like low mood um, anxiety and stress and most definitely the uncertainty, the stress, anxiety, a number of factors that COVID-19 and this ongoing pandemic has brought upon all of us is a significant factor. And in fact, uh, a recent poll, uh, one done by CMHA and UBC has said, you know, about half of us have said that our mental health has deteriorated since the start of the pandemic. And uh, another poll uh, done by Ipsos Reid said, the majority of us are not okay. And that's why I really appreciate talking about this and Mike and I here today because uh, it's going to sound cheesy. I'm going to use the hashtag. I'm going to talk about it. It's okay to say you're not okay. And really part of the work that I do and Mike does is to help reduce that stigma so that we can realize that we can talk about this and support each other. Yeah. And I think, I mean, ultimately what it's done is really also allowed us to distinguish between the difference between mental health and mental illness. Um, everybody has mental health and, and that's really on a continuum. So um, I think some of the factors that have contributed uh, with the pandemic and certainly in the central Okanagan over the course of the summer, throw the fires in there, 
throw an increasing cost of living in there. It's it's really added stress um, to people's plates. And, um, you know, one day you might be okay. And the next day um, you may not. And uh, so mental health is fluid. There's things you can do to manage your mental health. But we want to distinguish between that and a mental illness. Um, I think what certainly the pandemic has done in some cases for people who are more susceptible to a mental illness um, may in fact created an environment whereby they've now ended up with a diagnosis and uh, are accessing treatment. But those two things are, are very different. And there are ways ultimately that we can manage our mental health, even in the face of um, the pandemic and other stressors that we have going on. Mm-hmm. So about that, Mike, let's discuss the common misconceptions surrounding mental health. What are the misconceptions that you find yourself hearing or seeing? Well, I think first misconception is people don't quite understand it well. And I think uh, there isn't a clear understanding between the difference of mental health or mental illness. There's still a lot of stigma that exists around that. Um, I think one of the key areas of stigma, and we've you know brought this forward in you know the start of this conversation, is we're in November, men's mental health. Um, the whole idea that men um, experience mental health disorders and are less likely to go and access assistance. Um, Men are more likely to um, die by suicide. And and that's a real challenge and a real misconception when it comes to uh, men's mental health and really encouraging conversation and the fact that it's okay to talk about this and it's okay to seek out help and assistance um, when you're having a difficult time. I think another component of that, and just to um, just jump off what Mike said, is that um, mental health does not necessarily mean it's the absence of mental illness. So what does that mean? I could have a diagnosed mental illness. I could have depression. I could have bipolar. I could have um, any number diagnosable mental illness. It doesn't mean that I have bad mental health. I could have good mental health. On the other side of that, I could be somebody that does not have any diagnosable mental illness. It doesn't mean that every day, all day, my mental health is good. So it's not the absence of mental illness. Mental health is the ability for us to manage the highs and lows, the ups and downs of life. It doesn't mean you're not going to feel sorrow. You're not going to feel grief anger, stress, or anxiety, but you have the mechanisms in place to manage. It's a roller coaster, especially since COVID, this roller coaster that we're feeling. And I think that's a common thing. And and one of the things that we, we anecdotally feel we're seeing is that folks are not reaching out for help, whether it's for help, whether it's men for November or, you know, um, families or young people that are feeling the squeeze right now because they don't think that they're sick enough or they have a mental illness enough in order to reach out for counseling, in order to talk to a family member, they have to be in crisis. And that's simply not true. And that is a misconception. It's better if we talk about how we're feeling so that we can prevent that early intervention and prevention so we don't get into crisis. I've seen a lot of people that I wouldn't expect to display, um, I guess, their mental health. I'll speak from personal experience. When when COVID first hit and our business was was hit pretty hard because of advertising and, and calling out media, most people stopped advertising and marketing. So the phone didn't stop ringing, the emails didn't stop coming, so... And you know my wife Nikki. She's a you know a leader in the business community. In that she wouldn't get out of bed for a week. Like she had 
said she just gave up. Do you know what I mean? Like it was, it was tough to convince her that, you know, that there is a path forward that we just have to kind of like push through it. And I, and I've seen that with a lot of people that, that kind of lost hope. And I think that's the, the big thing when you lose hope. Um, because a lot of the stuff is outside your control. When you talk about inflation, you talk about, you know, like the, the restrictions and you talk about, you know, like being isolated. And that, those are things like outside people's control. And I think when people lose control of their own like path, they kind of withdraw or whatever they need to do to kind of survive, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I think there's an element from within that that is okay. Um, we have these survival instincts um, that we should rely on and can rely on and, and folks in our life to say, okay, I'm not okay and I, I, I need to take a beat or I need to just um, take some time to reassess and think about what I can con- control. Certainly what we say at, at CMHA Kelowna is, you know, if this is going on for an extended ex- period of time where you are not yourself, there is a certain point where we do recommend that you seek uh, medical and, and professional help. But even in that scenario we were talking about, Nikki, I mean, I'm sure there's so many folks that can relate to that. I mean, this compounded uncertainty of our health, our financial health. I mean, you, you guys have this incredibly huge business and and quite well known in the community. Um, and then how the community is doing. When we talk about the elements that support our mental health, they're they're called the social determinants of health. So knowing that you've got a good job, you've got a good place to live, you've got good food in your belly, you have connection. Uh, you have a sense of belonging. And I think what we've seen with COVID is those foundational determinants that allow us to feel good about ourselves were starting to be eroded. And they're continually being eroded. And I, I think that that's really what we're seeing in the community. Well, and I, I mean, I think to your point, certainly the the control and uncertainty of it. And Kelowna has been in a real interesting spot as it applies to the pandemic, right? You go back to July of 2020 when the Kelowna cluster started. And it's like we've had this shutter down and then you start to get a little bit of hope, right? We're getting somewhere. And there looks to be a, you know, a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel and got to stop again. And then we get through and it's looking like we're making progress. And this time, hey, there's that light again. And I've said through the pandemic, you know, I start to wonder whether that's a light at the end of the tunnel or a train coming the other way because it sometimes felt that way. And and so the uncertainty that comes with that creates all sorts of, of impact. And to, to Jess's comment, for sure, when it hits us in those areas, when it hits us financially for people that are um, just making ends meet and, and are struggling to pay their bills um, and are potentially at risk of losing the roof over their head. As we move into, you know, the holiday season, people that are, are really struggling to, to pay their bills, the additional pressure, all these things tend to add up and um, cause stress, which definitely uh, can negatively impact our mental health. How do we help those people or how do we like, how do we see the signs and, and what is it that the people around the people can do? And, and then when do they turn to, to you for, for help? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, there's a few layers uh, and I'll take some of them and, and then Mike can take some of that. So certainly uh, as individuals, we say if you know you'll notice if you're not yourself so i can't i can't tell you jim um out of the gate whether or not you are 
feeling good or not feeling good. So you're going to notice yourself. And we, we always, what we've been advising a lot of people who've come to us, whether it's for virtual counseling or online free courses, is do that individual check-in. Maybe it's once a day, maybe it's twice a day, maybe it's twice a week, and say, how am I feeling? Maybe that's writing it down. We name your feelings. I'm feeling stressed. I'm feeling stressed because I have this podcast today where I have to give advice about mental health and everyone's relying on my answers. Well, that's okay. And I do my, my process to prep about that. Then there is an element of those who are around you. So your close colleagues, your wife, like you noticed with Nikki earlier, we shouldn't always put the responsibility on the individual who's struggling to ask for help. So I can say, Jim, I, I notice when, when you come to work, you're not yourself. Usually you come in and you say hi to everybody. Now you go right to your desk. Are you okay? So that is an element for, for other folks. If it goes on for an extended period of time, um, you know, reaching out to somebody to say what is the best help that uh, I can get might be a medical doctor, might be a family member, it might be CMHA Kelowna. Um, in terms of some of the offerings that, that we have and where CMHA Kelowna can help out, Mike, do you want to? Sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the one of the the best things you can do from a prevention perspective is educate yourself around um, mental health and mental mental um, illness. And we have a, a series called Discovery College, and it's a series of courses that run for about uh, an hour and a half, two hours, um, on multiple topics. So there's one actually next Tuesday on understanding anxiety. And it really is a matter of um, that's a course that's been co-created by people with lived experience of uh, mental illness and co-facilitated by people with that lived experience to really give people sort of the information um, about that and and the tools that they can use. Um, We offer a virtual counseling program, uh, which is based on a single session model. And I would say, again, the whole... um, prevention piece. I think sometimes there's a hesitancy to access counseling. Maybe we think, well, we're not, we're not, we're not bad enough or we're not sick enough to go and access that counseling. But one session of counseling can be the thing that makes the difference between things getting worse or addressing the issue um, that's in front of you. And I mean, those are just a couple of offerings for youth, um, those mm-hmm. between the ages of 12 and 24 and their parents and caregivers. Uh, just over here on Kirshner Avenue, there's Foundry, and they can walk in and they can access an array of, of different services under one roof where they can start to have that conversation about what's happening for them um, and start to plan and look at some potential solutions for that. So there, there are a number of things that we offer um, to people that can help them on their journey. In the case that you talk about, and again, where the line crosses between mental health and mental illness, is that when you see significant changes. Um, so if someone is staying in bed for you know two weeks, three weeks at a time, and it's a distinct difference when people start to have challenges with uh, mood and appetite and those kinds of things, um, and it becomes uh, you know an ongoing issue, it starts to affect their ability to function, whether that's at work, with relationships, in other areas. That's the time when you want to take it to a higher level and seek uh, medical attention and and talk about the potential of seeing whether there's a diagnosable mental illness and then what that treatment might look like. The one thing, too, that I would add, and it circle back to your question about misconceptions or misinterpretations of mental health, is recognizing that it's going to look different in folks. So people may be, say, for example, think somebody who's struggling with a mental health issue is going to be uh, present in a certain way. And whether that's really angry or really tired or uh, or crying, but that's why we say what's not... Um, 
normal for that individual. And then with men's mental health, also recognizing it might come out in different ways. We talked about the pressures that men feel to to be a certain way. So it might seep out in in other ways and and really understanding you know we're we're all under an incredible amount of stress right now we we know that there's vulnerable populations who are really feeling the stressors of this but giving each other a little bit of grace and 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 saying to the individual okay well maybe you had a strong reaction or maybe you had a bad reaction let's talk a little bit about that whether that's your husband your wife young person we know from foundry Kelowna, we just had a recent survey of young people who've come to access our services they're in high distress they're really feeling the stress and anxiety uh right now so just recognizing that different folks are going to express it in a different way so on that point, Jessica, I wanted to ask, what is the stigma around men's mental health and do societal expectations and traditional gender roles play a role in this? Uh, short answer, yeah, 100%. Um, I, I, as much as we've tried to um, come through that and, and try to talk about men's mental health, certainly the Movember campaign, we have sports figures who have come out in the last little bit talking about their mental health. We know that that stigma is still there. What is it? Well, we've got two men in the room. I think they can speak to it. But I know from my perspective, we expect you uh, men, you, you men, we expect men to not show emotion or not be vulnerable vulnerable, maybe the emotion that we expect is going to look something else, not be emotional, not ask for help, Um, just take care of stuff, and then be there when I need a shoulder to cry on, be there for me. Mike, what what do you think are some of the other societal expectations? Well, I think, yeah, I mean, raised in a society where, you know, what, what, what is a man? And a a man is strong, right? And a man doesn't show weakness. Mm -hmm. um, Because that's just not how it works and um you know so it gets it gets buried within it's not okay to have a conversation to sit around necessarily with your buddies and say hey you know i'm having a really hard time and talk about my feelings necessarily um that's that's not how it's been and that's not the reality of it but ultimately addressing the issue and getting to that place means that people have to have the conversation and and just to start to talk about it and it's surprising what happens when you do and other people start to nod their head and go oh yeah okay me too right i've i have a similar experience so there is a whole conceptualization of what makes a man a man what's okay vulnerability all those pieces and 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 the elements and pressure that comes with that i think for myself when when we were all experiencing in the beginning, I think, you know, I felt a little pity party myself. And um, I think what helped me was that I was needed. Do you know what I mean? Like I I had to, to step up and help the other people around me that were kind of like struggling. So that was, you know, I guess that's a man thing, you know, where you, where you feel that you need to step up. And I guess that in a way helped alleviate my stress because now I was, I was useful. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, actually what you're talking about there is is a very foundational element of a social determinant of health, and that is a sense of connection and a sense of belonging. We it's it's proven, I don't have the stats or the the research, but it is known that whether it's volunteering officially, it doesn't have to be with our organization, it could be just helping somebody, uh, your next door neighbor. It makes us feel good and it gives us a sense of purpose and that really does support our mental health. So for sure, I think there's a a larger expectation for men as well, but really as well, I mean, you just said that is something that helped you get through. It gave you a sense of purpose 
also it was something that you had control over and knowing what we can control in these crazy times of uncertainty where we don't know what is going to come the next hour the next day that's really helpful yeah i think one of the things we did was we only had a few people in the office at the time like four or five and we just started dressing up like it was a regular day and that helped kind of normalize some of the stuff again stuff you can control i think that was a big thing yeah. I mean, at a time when control in many ways is being taken away, right? And I had this conversation about how, you know, if I want to stay at home and watch Netflix and that's what I want to do, that's okay. But when I'm told that that's ultimately all I can do and I have to stay away from my friends, that kind of thing, it does take that sense of, of you know, control away from you and it brings those feelings with it and the anxiety and it sounds like yeah what a what a what a great way to kind of bring a sense of normalcy and take a little bit of control over the circumstance to 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 feel okay one big question i have is is just a a question for for both of you but for the general population how do we help each other more so like like out there there's a lot of disinformation maybe a little bit of hate and a little bit you know like a lot of like how do we extend the hand as opposed to meet anger with more anger? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a big question you've got there. <laughs> um, well, I'll start with, with going back to one of my previous responses is giving each other and ourselves a little bit of grace, giving ourselves a, a break, um, making sure that we're checking in on our uh, biases and our expectations of what we we should be doing and what others should be doing or behaving in a behaving in a certain way that's going to be huge i mean that's 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 a fundamental paradigm shift i mean i know that's that's a lot to ask in terms of of helping you know i i find asking an individual you know how how can i how can i help you they may not know um, but just part of having that conversation with them, showing them that you see them, uh, you're there if they need, and because they may not be able to help, um, it, it's a good first step. I mean, I just did that last night with a girlfriend over text. I, I don't know that I have a lot to offer her um, in terms of what she needs and what she's going through. But, you know, I just said, how, how can we do this? What, what can we do to approach this? And I think that that is a good approach to take. I mean, it starts with compassion. And certainly, you know, when we look at some of the issues that are taking place in Kelowna currently, and there's, there's a number and, and, and a lot that are pertaining to activities in the downtown area, drug use, those kinds of things. Um, what I can say is um, it's really hard not to become angry with people's behavior. Uh, especially when it's impacting you directly. Um, What's important to know that there is a human being behind that behavior and there is always, and I can say from my experience in this work, working with some fairly, you know, complex and compromised individuals, there's a story and that story could be about um, the death of a spouse and for whatever reason that person didn't either have the internal resilience or the social safety net that some of us would take for granted and it led down a different path. Um, So I think compassion, understanding, uh, to your point, connection, um, having a conversation with people, just getting to know them and giving the opportunity, and maybe in some cases, uh, a little bit of the benefit of the doubt are are all things that we can do um, in that area. Um, 
I want to discuss gender differences in mental health during the COVID-19 pandemic. So women, female participants have been shown more likely than males to report symptoms consistent with moderate to severe anxiety. So I want to know why is that just for women? Is it because men don't speak up or do men not feel it as much as women? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, certainly we, we wouldn't be able to speak too in-depth to that, but I think part of what we've been talking about already is a little bit of those societal expectations um, to not to paint everybody with the same brush, but I think for women, we have been, uh, it's been made okay, more generally speaking, for us to share our um, our, our emotions and how we're feeling and, and ask for help. Um, not to say that all women feel that, that freedom to do so, but as it relates to men, what we we're talking about earlier in the, in this, the stigma associated with that. Um, it's interesting though, that as through the course of COVID-19, I mean, I would have to know a bit more about that uh, study because one of the interesting things about studies is that, is it reports of, is it actually increased reporting or less re reporting or is it actually more or less incidences of which is always an interesting factor with these with these elements it could be something that uh, we focused more attention on recently because of COVID-19 do you have any thoughts on this Mike? I, no that's not a, a stat that uh, that I've heard and so I, I really don't necessarily have a have a good answer to that mm -hmm. um, that specific one mm -hmm. um, taking it for a little bit of a turn, what we do know is um, where things have really been impacted by uh, the pandemic in terms of um, death is around the opioid crisis. Um, and the numbers that were just recently released this week and the fact that we've seen the numbers higher uh, than they've ever been in, in our province. And that is directly attributable to the social isolation that was required through the pandemic and uh, the need to, to be apart from each other. And, and that's something that's staring us in the face as a province, as a community, um, and something that needs to be paid attention to. I guess the question that I would ask is, during the last two years, has there been a dramatic increase in your need for services? Have, and I yeah. think that answer is, a, I think that's you know the answer that you guys can talk to is, have you seen more people needing more help? Yeah, we have. I mean, we we are, you know, we we track the stuff and we look at at uh, the help that people are asking for. We try to be really responsive uh, to the needs of the community in terms of changing or or tweaking our services. But we have significantly noticed an increase uh, the number of people and the level of distress. So whether that's calls to CMHA where we, we have an individual, her name's Donna. Um, she's our information referral specialist. And she really is that kind of, she is the person that picks up the phone and helps an individual say, okay, well, you need this, you need that. She says the numbers have increased uh, sh and an average of 35 calls a day. And within that, she's doing something that they she calls a uh, suicide intervention. So these are individuals who are calling under high distress. Um, a, a couple times, uh, a day, um, she has said, so significantly increased more than before COVID. We know that the young people who are coming to us uh, at Foundry Kelowna increased numbers, the young people and their families, because we also support the folks who are caregiving to the young people. That has increased over the course of the pandemic. And then the level of distress 
that young people are self-reporting. So there's, they're actually saying. And then to speak to the financial component, there's an interesting thing that we're seeing when it comes to our rent supplements and rent bank. Yeah, I mean, uh, one thing I would say around yeah. that too is, is you know, when the pandemic first started, the canary in the coal mine for us, the people were seeking out help was the number of parents and caregivers that were coming forward to Foundry saying, how do I deal with my team? Because um, we had to make the switch from in-person service to virtual service. And you would think that virtual services, teens, they're all about the technology. At first, was super uncomfortable with that. Um, and that kind of started the ball rolling. And, and subsequent to that, um, it's just continued. Um, to your point about stressors, and this comes back to socioeconomic factors, um, Kelowna, from a rental perspective, is the um, fifth most expensive place to live in, in Canada. And so what we're seeing is people knocking on our doors. And while, while we certainly have a hot job market in this community and uh, people can find work, uh, the cost of living in Kelowna to keep a roof over your head, to pay your bills, continues to go up. And we see a number of people that are reaching out to us um, in a level of concern that the amount of money coming in is not keeping up with those bills and uh, are looking for some level of, of support within that. I think that... Uh that number keeps increasing. I think we just did a podcast earlier today, and I think Kelowna is now fourth. Is it fourth? So nothing to be proud of, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. I guess one of the struggles that I hear from lots of the the organizations trying to do help in the community is that they used to be able to fundraise, and COVID-19 has kind of shut down a lot of those fundraising avenues. So how have you guys been able to kind of, I hate to use the word pivot, or <laughs> like how, how have you been able to adjust to, to still access funding? Is the government helping more, or or how do you get funding for the work you do? So, I mean, certainly for us, and, and Jessica can speak more to the broad-based fundraising piece, uh, during COVID, certainly there was availability of more government grants to assist people that were, were out there in various areas. So we had some level of success uh, in that area to be able to, to bring some dollars into the door. Certainly it was focused on key uh, initiatives like increased access to food and more supports for people who are either experiencing or at risk of homelessness. So so that helped a little bit, but there's no doubt that overall in terms of fundraising, uh, it, 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 it there was a negative impact. Definitely, and what Mike is saying and agrees that these are we're focused initiatives with CMHA, but generally speaking, our overall fundraising is down about 50%. And what that means is that that our ability to pivot uh, to support our general programs. I mean, one of the things about CMHA and the nature of 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 broader funding, whether it's provincial or federal or certain agencies, is education, early intervention, and awareness elements. Uh, most often are the least funded. So we operate uh, from a funding perspective when we, as the grant, as those receiving the grants of um, the folks who have the highest need are the ones that get, get some good funding, which is absolutely necessary. You know, we talk about housing, we talk about people in mental illness crisis, we talk about substance use. But when we are talking about a system that is already overloaded and is even more so now because of COVID, and one of the best ways that we can address this is get people what we call further upstream, that early intervention and prevention, that's really 
what is going to help us in the long term. And traditionally, this is not funded as well. So when folks just make a general donation or have a general fundraiser, we've got some great community partners who are doing that to CMHA. That's what you're you're supporting. You're supporting our ability to to do that kind of awareness and resource and capacity building in the community. That was eviscerated last year. Um, and, and, and we rolled with it. I mean, we saw when, when COVID came in, we saw that we really had to share the message of how we could be there for people. So taking our foundry operations online, um, moving Discovery College, which launched just a month before COVID came from in-person to right away virtual. Those are some of the um, the uh, ways we were nimble. I, I, that's what I say, Jim and Stavro. Pivot. <laughs> Ways That's we were nimble. <laughs> um, and 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 then also something, say, for example, like we recently launched uh, Foundry Kelowna's Wellness on Wheels, where we're going out to young people in West Kelowna, in West Bank First Nation, in Lake Country, who are going to have barriers to coming over here to Kirshner to get the help. Those are the things that we've done. The great thing is, is that the community has responded and the community is responding Fundraisers are coming back. Folks are fundraising for us. Uh, they're they're donating. Uh, I am the fundraiser, so I'm going to drive this point hard. Um, and it's a good thing. And we see opportunities to continue to be nimble and how we can still offer those fundraising events. You know, uh, later this year, we have our end of year campaign. And then into the future, folks have said to us they've really missed our ride, don't hide. Um, we have a run and we have a myriad of community partners who do really great work for us and just working alongside them to get the message out safely and uh, raise funds. We try to keep this under an hour and we're getting close. Is there anything that we missed that you guys want to share with us? Like, like all the services that are there. I think you touched on some of them with the, with the bus and, and all that, or how they can help and, or how they can access the services. I think we've spent, and, and thank you for the time, we spent a lot of time reiterating some of the challenges and concerns that we're having. And, and really, as an organization, we, we like to leave with people feeling hopeful. <laughs> so, um, you know, for recommendations, and we did touch upon it, understanding um, your own mental health and the steps you can take, understanding what's in your control. And don't be surprised if you don't know all the things that are out there. That's what organizations like CMHA Kelowna can help. So you can go to cmhacolona.org. You can click on the button that says find help now. And there are resources, virtual, in-person, um, across the province and right here in Kelowna, whether you're in crisis or whether you just need a little support to manage that squeeze, uh, we have a list there. Encourage you to do those foundational things that going to support you through this this time. Um, all the things that we talked about, whether it's getting outside on days uh, that you can and being active, connecting, a sense of belonging, eating properly, sleeping properly. I mentioned those things because we're getting into the holiday season and sometimes those things go by the wayside, um, those elements. And checking in with yourself and your colleagues and your loved ones. And if you're asking them if they're okay, just being there in the moment with them, holding space and really listening to their answer. You don't have to have all the answers. Don't be afraid to ask if, you're, if you feel like I'm not educated because just 
talking to them sometimes can make a significant difference. Actually, I have a follow-up question on Mike's point on the opioid crisis, and I just wondered how do alcohol and other drugs affect mental health? Because I know a few friends who resorted to alcohol to deal with their stress and mental health, and it made things worse. So how does this affect that? Well, it, it, exactly, uh, just as you describe it. So, I mean, oftentimes people, when they're struggling, uh, they look to cope. And one of the ways to cope ultimately is to turn to alcohol and drugs. And uh, um, some people can use alcohol and drugs and do so socially and recreationally. And then there's others who start to run into difficulties with it. Um, you know, it's interesting, the opioid crisis, what we're seeing on our streets in Kelowna, another fact that is very clear when we look at the homeless population is some people really jump to assumptions and conclusions and go, well, those people are there because of substance use. But actually what the research shows is that in some cases people end up homeless because they've had an addiction issue and it's fallen to that point. But the other thing that people don't realize is, and you can again imagine what it must be like, a number of people that are out there develop a substance use issue as a means to cope with the fact that you have to sleep outside. You don't know where you're gonna stay tonight, those kinds of things. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a both way um, relationship for those that are struggling there. Um, and um, what I would suggest is people need to be careful in terms of when they're looking to cope, look, look at healthy coping strategies as well, some of the things that Jessica talked about because there's a number of ways that we can um, try to feel better that ultimately uh, result in us feeling worse along the way and creating more problems uh, for ourselves. Well, I'd like to thank you for your time today. That was, um, we should do it again, because um, I imagine the more messaging we can get out there, the better for a lot of people. Great, well, thank you for having us, and, and we're welcome to come on uh, anytime okay. and talk about uh, a few more of these things. And, and thank you for spreading the word, because you're right, the more we talk about it, it reduces the stigma, and folks are more likely to do what they can to manage their well-being and ask for help if they can't manage. That's the end of today's conversation. If you have any topics that you'd like to have featured, please email Sarah Gouda at sgouda at nowmediagroup.ca. That's S-G-O-U-D-A at nowmediagroup.ca.